793 CE, the monks of Lindisfarne toiled away in peace. Their monastery sat on the eastern coast of Northumbria, the old kingdom that used to separate Scotland and England. They had no clue that in June of that year, their monastery would be the site of a completely unprovoked attack that would kick off a brand new age for the world. The attack was swift, brutal, and complete. Raiders sailed from out of seemingly nowhere. Years later, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle would describe these raiders, saying, There were lightning storms, and fiery dragons were seen flying the sky. Indeed, these men were ruthless and fierce warriors who swept in on their longboats to plunder all the riches a place could offer, before slipping back into the sea so quick it must have felt like a hurricane blew into town. With such a violent eruption onto the world stage, the Norsemen and Danes instantly became a feared group of people that no one wished to be on the bad side of. They accrued legends and descriptions that are still in use to this day. Vikings, we now call them, despite the fact they never used the term for themselves. For 300 years, starting the day they ransacked the monastery of Lindisfarne, the Vikings raided and plundered and conquered the coasts of Europe. In some instances, even taking territory further inland. But somehow, throughout the intervening centuries since the end of the Viking Age, the facts and histories of the Norse have muddled together so that many people today have only the vaguest idea of who the Vikings were. True, most of their warriors were unmatched in battle for the time, but they weren't the pirates who loved nothing more than to spill blood, steal treasure, and take wives as portrayed by popular culture. The Norse and Danes were skilled explorers, revolutionary shipmakers, expert traders, and so very much more. And compared to other places at the time, the Norse were downright modern in quite a few ways with regards to women and hygiene. I'd like to share just a few of the more extraordinary stories that display the less well-known side of this culture. Njal's saga puts it best that there is more to the Vikings than mere piracy. For with law shall our land be built up and settled, and with lawlessness wasted and spoiled. I'm Aiden Maine. Welcome to Haunting Historia. The standard visual of a Viking for most people today is of a buff, warmongering beast of a man with a huge beard and a horned helmet. And while certain aspects of that image are true, such as the warriors whose hyper-focused and brutal fighting coined the term berserker, others are not. Notably, there has yet to be any evidence uncovered that their helms had decorative horns attached to them. In fact, most Vikings likely did not wear helmets at all. Archaeologists have only found one intact helmet, found in Norway in 1943. But more than that, helmets, and metal in general, was expensive and difficult to come by. 
Their lore provides another possible reason for the lack of head protection, though. In Viking culture, it was believed that the time and circumstances regarding one's death were predetermined by the fates. This idea led to the men and women of Scandinavia being some of the most fearless peoples on the planet. If your death is already planned, why worry about such things as helmets? The idea of the Viking as a great, brutish savage is one that sprang up largely because of the writings of other European cultures of the time. Looking back with the kind of hindsight that sounds cliché, we see evidence that the Norse and Danes were far more interested in trade. Historian at Yale University, Anders Winroth, notes that the Scandinavians endeavored to stimulate economy throughout Western Europe. Take, for example, the story of the Danish king Godfred. He founded and developed a town in Denmark called Hedeby. The dream of Hedeby was to turn into a hub of commerce for all civilized people, a mecca for trading, if you will. In 808, he sent his raiders to a town called Rerik, located on the southern shore of the Baltic Sea. The raiders were allowed to destroy and loot to their heart's content, but they were given one explicit order that they were to follow. All the merchants were to be saved from the destruction and brought back to Denmark to set up shop in Hedeby. Interestingly, this rather unorthodox plan worked, boosting the economy in Hedeby and in the area as a whole. The little port town was located at a convenient entryway from England the Frankish kingdoms, Spain, and more. As such, Hedeby was something of a city of gold for roughly 250 years and known as the place to go for trade. Godfred wasn't the first or only leader to encourage trade either, with many centers for trade popping up all over in places with geographic advantages, such as proximity to home or ports or easy access over land. This penchant for setting up such places falls right in line with another of the lesser-known aspects of Norse culture during the Viking Age, exploration. The Norse and Danes lived for adventure. What better thrill in the days before the mapping of the world could there be than sailing off into the unknown? After encountering Northumbria, the Franks, Scotland, Ireland, and Spain, a few of the Norse decided to find out what lay even further west. Evidence found by archaeologists suggests that a group of Irish monks were the first to land on what would become Iceland, but it seems that they left before the Norse arrived to stake their claim. Stake it, they did. After a few Vikings washed ashore accidentally, they discovered an island of harsh, unforgiving winters. Then, 
the summer came to reveal a lush, habitable place ripe for settling. Thorvald Oswaldson, after being exiled for murder, moved his clan to Iceland, an event that would go on to shape the 10th century maps. In 982, Thorvald's son, Eric the Red, would prove the phrase, like father, like son, really does ring true when he likewise finds himself exiled for three years from Iceland. Eric fled further west, only to discover another land. He set up a homestead and came up with a plan to entice more of his fellows to join him there. That's how the island of Greenland got its name. As Eric Saga said, people would be much more tempted to go there if it had an attractive name. And that isn't even the most incredible story within the same family. Eric the Red had a few sons and a daughter. His son had heard tales from a merchant, Bjarni Haraldsson, of a wonderful place. Bjarni, apparently, only ever caught sight of this land from his ship, claiming that it was lush with trees and fertile-looking soil. Eric himself is said to have opted to lead the expedition to find this incredible new land, but upon approaching the boat on his horse, he fell off. To the Vikings, this was a very bad omen. Eric declared that he would not be going, ceding leadership to his son and saying that he was not fated to discover another land. Ericsson then sailed off, attempting to use a reverse route from Bjarni's tale in order to find the place he spoke of. And he did. The area he found was rich in grapes and berries, and he called the place Vinland, using his father's method of marketing a place with a catchy name. That man was Leif Ericsson, and the land he discovered? That was an area of what is now Canada where Newfoundland and New Brunswick are located, meaning that Leif was the first of European descent to set foot on North America, 500 years before Christopher Columbus would ignorantly believe he had made it all the way to India. Declining relations with the natives of the New World would eventually force the Vikings to abandon their settlement of Vinland, but the achievement of Leif Erikson's discovery cannot be understated. But none of this, the pillaging, the trading, the exploration, would have been possible were it not for the revolutionary way the Scandinavians built their ships. Their techniques changed the way we sailed the seas and advanced everything into a new era. The secret to their success lay in the way their keels were designed. The bottoms of ships are arguably the most important aspect, as it will determine just how seaworthy the vessel will be. If a ship's keel is improperly constructed, leaks, or more devastating problems, can sink a sailor's dream faster than the ship drifting to the bottom of the sea floor. So, the Vikings developed what's called the clinker technique. Essentially, they overlapped each of the planks, bolting the boards both to the keel 
and to each other. This allows for the ship to have a much greater resilience and flexibility. Although the Vikings built many different types of ships, the longboat and the nar remain two of the most well-known. Long ships were designed for speed, maneuverability, and keel strength. Their shallow draft meant that they could easily slip into shallower waters, such as fjords and streams, making them ideal for quick in-and-out raids. The Nar was more of a trade ship, bulkier and with far more carrying capacities. These were the ships that made their trips as far-flung as North America possible. With all of the accomplishments of the Vikings, why is it that their reign over the Western world came to an end at all? Stick around after a quick break to find out. This episode of Haunting Historia was written and produced by me, Aidan Main, with music by John Bjork. The Vikings influenced so much right down to all the stories told about them by the people they conquered. There's so much from those 300 years of pillaging and exploring that it's hard to include it all in just one episode and still keep this podcast as the short form it was intended to be. Such as how the women were in charge of finances because they believed math was witchcraft. Or how the English hated the Vikings not just because they were constantly being raided or taken over by them, but also because English women preferred the Viking men, who bathed more frequently than Englishmen. This is why I started this podcast. There's just so much history that gets lost or forgotten. If there's a part of history you think I should cover, get in touch via my email, stories at hauntinghistoria.com, or through the contact form on hauntinghistoria.com. The Viking era came to an end around 1066. There are many reasons as to why this happened. After 300 years, Europeans must have gotten tired of near-constant plunder from outside forces. But what makes the Vikings different from virtually every other invading force in history was their policies after the conquering was done. Where most conquerors would subjugate the conquered, and force them into accepting new beliefs and practices, the Vikings would absorb the traditions of the land, taking in the things that work. It was one of the many things that made them as terrifyingly effective as they were. And by the time of the last great Viking king, Harald Hardrada of Norway came along, most Scandinavians were already living very different lives compared to their ancestors. Harald attempted to unify the lands, much in the same way as Harald Bluetooth united the disparate tribes of Denmark. He fought with Danish King Sven Estridsson for nearly 16 years before signing a pact of peace. It was then that he set his sights on England. In September of 1066, he invaded York with 9,000 men and 240 longships. Their forces beat the local garrison quite efficiently but the success 
was short-lived. English King Harold Godwinson rushed out to meet the invading Vikings. Two days later, a brutal and bloody battle roared, with Harald of Norway leaping into the fray with axes in both hands. An arrow found its way through the carnage and pierced the Viking king in the throat. His forces attempted to fight on without him, but they were overwhelmed. Afterwards, the peoples of Scandinavia stuck closer to home, though that term included the trade routes they established during the near 300 years prior. Most historians agree that the Viking Age ended with the death of Harald Hardrada on September 25th, 1066. If you enjoyed this episode of Haunting Historia, then I invite you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. History is so full of stories such as these, stories that filter down through the ages to shape the world we live in. And each new episode brings these stories to life again. These are the stories that stick with us, the ones that don't get told too often, but are no less fantastic. So follow along each week as I shed a little more light on the dark parts of the past. The bold succeed wheresoever they go. From the saga of Magnus Barefoot.